So you are fresh off the Hawaii. I am. I. I'm. I'm as fresh as they come. I got a tan. Um. I. Uh, I. I did so many wonderful things uh, with my wife. Uh, we went. Um, we went to where they filmed Jurassic Park, but it was like only to find out that the the place we went to, which is a beautiful tour, by the way, I highly recommend any like anyone to do it. You would love it. Um, but what's funny about it is, is like they have a spot and it's only 1% of the movie was filmed there. And most of it was like, like, uh, like CGI and stuff. So like, it's not even that real but it the spot when you see it you're like oh yeah you know you know exactly what scene it is so that was that was an amazing experience uh and you get your own little utv which looks like a jurassic park kind of uh go-kart i guess is the best oh, way to say cool. it. yeah it's like a little mini jeep um and uh and and they did the, the tour was amazing like they do a really cool job of like explaining the land and like and and like Hawaiian kind of folklore around the land and talk about stories of gods and goddesses and everything. Uh, and then they talk about the movies being filmed there and like, you know, kind of the rules and restrictions they faced, which was really fun to see. And uh, they actually have a lot more Jurassic world stuff there. So you'll see like bunkers and they'll have like the cages there. And it was, it was a super, it was an awesome experience. Uh, we also did surfing in Hawaii, which is really cool. And we met like the most stereotypical, quintessential surfer guy his name was joey he oh. he was he was uh born and raised in new jersey but works in hawaii as a surfing teacher and i asked him because like point break right like we love point break great movie <laughs> and uh i was asking him as by the way as he was swimming me through the ocean because i had a super wide surfboard and it was hard for me to to get traction in my front crawl uh, but so he put his foot on my board and he swam me uh, on while well, he was on his surfboard all the way into the spot where we need to be like catching waves and stuff. Oh, my God. And, and I asked Joey while he was <laughs> he was swimming me, towing me, essentially. Uh, while he was towing me, I was asking him, like, hey, man, do surfers have like territory? Like, are they territorial? And he's like, oh, most indefinitely, brah. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be the best surfing instructor we've ever had. And like, and Isabel and I loved him. He was super funny. And I was asking him like, what's like surfer philosophy out here? And he's like, oh man, there's like so much surfer philosophy. And he's like, I can tell you, man, it's like, you don't choose the waves. The waves chooses you. And I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a great day. And, and Dude, you met Michelangelo essentially. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. He talked exactly like Michelangelo. And uh, and then the funny part is, after all that, he's like, you he talked about the how the wave chooses you. He's like, but it's all it's all BS, man. Like it's, it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Isabel and I had an absolute blast of a time. Did you um, get to see any lava from any volcanoes? No, no. Apparently, there is a there is an island on Hawaii that you can go to to actually sometimes, not all the time, obviously, but like you you can see like lava. But we did not. We were not on that island. We stayed. We probably were on the most commercial one of them all. But uh, but yeah, it was like it was awesome, man. We were two blocks away from the beach, so. The second we got out of the, the hotel, just walked down the street, and next thing you know, you're just in nothing but immaculate 
like uh, immaculate sun, uh, immaculate view of like ocean, sun and beach. And it was just a blast to walk up and down all the time. And which island were you on? Honolulu? Uh, yeah, we were on Oahu. Oh, oh, that's where they filmed Lost. Did you see me Lost? I, yes, I heard about that they filmed it there as well. But mm -hmm. uh, again, yeah, it, it's it's really cool. It's a beautiful, it's just an absolute beautiful place. It's uh, everyone, Everyone's got nothing but positive vibes. Like it's, it's impossible to be angry there because the weather's just so great. And, right. And the food was awesome as well. Oh, so cool, man. I'm glad you had a good time. Did you meet hey. Elvis? No, no. Actually, surprisingly enough, didn't see a lot of like, like I, you could see where Elvis got his influence. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, in terms of Elvis presence, there wasn't, I don't really recall seeing anything there. Mm -hmm. So what you're telling me is I should go there dressed as Elvis and freak people out. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think they'll even <laughs> flinch. Like, I don't think they'll care. They're <laughs> so chill. They're just like, Oh man, like look, there's Elvis, man. Like, <laughs> super it yeah, it's super chill vibes. Like everyone we met was just absolutely so much fun. I, I had a guy, is is my nickname for him was called Texas Mike. Um mm -hmm. he uh he's from Texas and he was in a line for this particular restaurant we went to called uh Marugami Udon, which makes fresh udon noodles at the restaurant. But um, oh, sweet. Yeah, which was really delicious. And, uh, and he was telling us like, oh, he's like, yeah, if you want, you want really good, like, you know, udon noodles or like, you know, Asian noodles, like this is the best restaurant you can get. But if you're looking for the second best restaurant, you need to go at this place. And he had like all these like little hidden gems of like restaurants you need to go to. Cool. Um, we only listened, we only listened to the first one, which is the line we were in, which is the, to the restaurant we were talking about. Um, and then, yeah, we had Joey, the surfer and, uh, we had captain, we had captain Jerry, he wore um, uh, Davy Crockett uh, raccoon hat. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> oh man! And then we met. Um, I didn't have a nickname for him, but our bus driver to take us to this one tour. He was talking about how he's moving away from the island because he has gotten to a point where it's gotten to a point where he can he can't escape his exes. So he needs to leave the island. And he's like, I can't even like, he's like, I want to go to Red Lobster. But um, or no, every time I go to Red Lobster, my ex-wife is like the manager there. So I always see her there. So I can't go. And and Isabella's like, well, why don't you just, Isabella's like, why don't you just not go to Red Lobster? And he's like, because it's lobster. I can't remember what he said, but he's like, because it's Lobster Fest is on right now. I don't want to miss that. <laughs> wow. That guy's living like if... He's he's living. Whoever that man is, that's that's a life right there. That's like, oh man, all my exes are everywhere. Yeah. But dude, you got to go surfing in Hawaii. That's incredible. Yeah, that's hell like... yeah. And like, well, it's funny too because it was very, um, it was very much like Blue Crush in the sense of, you know, he Joey's like, okay, and it's funny too because he 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 introduced us to surfing, no different than Crush talked about the EAC and in, in Finding Nemo. Cause he just rants. Like he just went right into it and didn't even stop. Like he's like, all right, so we're going to go into the waves. When you're going into the waves, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure your hands are flat on the board. When you're ready, you got to lift your body up. And then once you do and like, he just like right, right into it. He's like, in the end, you just got to feel the vibe. <laughs> or like, all right, Joey, let's just, let's just go. And he's like, in the end, just figure it out. Just feel the waves, you know? And just remember you have more time than you think you do. Don't get all stuck in your head. <laughs> Oh, I already love this Joe person. 
I'm going just to meet him now. It's settled. Um, Joey, you mentioned Finding Nemo. Joey the Crush. Surfer, yeah. Joey the Surfer. Uh, I think yeah. it's a big coincidence that you mentioned Crush from Finding Nemo. Because Finding Nemo, Ryan, came out in May 2003. Oh, why is that? Two weeks after X-Men 2. Are you making this up or are you being I am being dead serious because I wanted no to see way. what else was coming no out way at that that's time. A thing. Is that is that a thing? May 2003, you got X-Men 2 which came out oh, on May wow. 2nd wow. and then a couple weeks later, Finding Nemo. Isn't that something? Welcome to Infinity Rewatch everybody. I'm Andrew Fantasia. <laughs> What's up, everybody? I'm Ryan J. Marvel, and uh, today we're talking about X2. They should have had the poster ship and him holding up two claws. Um, We might have a little bit of Mm -hmm. some delaying, because StreamYard was being weird even when I logged on today, so I don't think it's you, buddy. I think that there's just something going on with the streaming, but we're going to do the best we can. Uh, But we're talking X2. X-Men United, uh, which, as I mentioned, came out May 2nd, 2003. Um, That was, just for some context, that same month, uh, we got, uh, well, May in general, we got movies like Daddy Daycare. All right, Daddy Daycare came out that same uh, month. And also, a week after X-Men 3, we got The Matrix Reloaded. Oh, yeah, that Jim movie. So that was a busy oh, month. Wow. That was, that was, uh, you know what, though? Yeah, it's not as bad, though. Matrix Reloaded is not as bad as people make it out to be. But it was, it, it was, it was lazy in comparison to the first one and i'll say i'll say the reason why for reloaded was because there's a great scene but it was like pure cg fight scene and it's like man like you have these actors super well trained you could have figured out a way to make it more practical you could have done it but overall mm-hmm. i love the story and the action sequences were just as good as the first one except for that one scene but overall i loved it i found that the last time i watched those matrix sequels they aged so much better uh, I don't know what it was, but they just they aged so well, and I was like, I'm loving both of these now. Um, but only the first you? two for me. I didn't, I didn't like the third one that much, but the first two are solid. Like part one and part two. Yeah, like uh, the first one and Reloaded are like my favorite. Uh, okay, yeah, I initially was the same, but then last time I saw part three, I was like, this is really fun. Like I'm, I'm, I'm having fun here, and I. I distinctly remember not having fun the first time I saw it. So whatever <laughs> happened, it aged well. But yeah. in, in May 03, Ryan, do you remember where you were and what you were doing? Like what was going on in your life? Uh, I think it was still in high school at that point. 2003, right? Mm. So 2003, yeah, still still in high school. Um, high school at this point was getting better for me. It was becoming more social. Uh, met a lot of really cool people. I was I was higher in the, in the high school food chain. So I, I, I almost, I achieved, almost achieved my achievement, uh, which was getting a high five in every hallway from knowing somebody. So 
I was getting there. I was getting there. I wasn't there yet, but I was getting there. Uh, I was a well-known individual. Um, I do remember still gaming a lot around that time in my high school years. I had actually a really good group of friends. Um, a buddy of mine who was the definitive fighting game, video game player. It's as if he studied the instruction manual for every single fighting game. And he knew like combos in and out to a point where you couldn't even play them unless you were of his skill. If you played the game and you, you were half decent, you could not play because the second he picked up his combos, you, you just couldn't, you would never touch the ground. So do I know was, this person? Did you ever, did I ever meet them? Uh, uh, I don't think you did because mm -hmm. he, him and I kind of were in and out of the scene. Like we would hang out on and off a lot. So I don't know if you ever hung out with them. You would have loved them though. Um, definitely again, you know, one of those kids you, you wish you grew up with kind of yeah. thing. Um, he, he was a big Ninja Turtles fan. Uh, he knew the Nintendo games really well. He knew all the secrets and stuff like that. So he was a, he was a really cool cat. Um, yeah. So I, but I do remember, I, I have this little gem here. Are you ready? A little show and tell. Are you oh my right? God. I'm so excited. Yes. <laughs> there was a game that came out at this time. Now, now, um, mm. video games at this time were, if there was a movie video game, chances are it was terrible. It was God awful, God awful game. And, um, there is this one gem. Okay. So, uh, okay. Let me, let me just start back one step further here. So I talked about in the last one, when we talked about video games, I talked about one fighting game called X-Men. Um, oh, what was it called? It was X-Men The Last Bastion or something like that. Okay. Uh, and it was really good. It was a really good fighting game. And it really kind of captured that moment of Wolverine or Mystique doing the, that Wolverine kick where she's like flying through the air. Um, and so again, movie games though, mm, not good. They weren't great. There was always an issue. Now, mm -hmm. X-Men Legends was like a phenomenal game. Um, and again, it was either, it was either you got a comic book game or you got a movie game and the movie game was terrible. Now in this time period, there was a gem that was a real, uh, overlooked game. And if you haven't played it and I recommend it today is, uh, this is, uh, X2 Wolverine's yes! Revenge. This game looks like a movie game. Okay. You can tell by it's wonderful cover. Okay. This is based on the X-Men 2 movie. You can see up here, okay, uh -huh. and you got, you got the Hugh Jackman. So if you looked at this back in the day, you're like, man, this, this looks like a terrible movie game. And if you thought that, you missed out on probably what was considered one of the best superhero games ever made for, uh, for Marvel. This is, this is voiced by your boy, Luke Skywalker himself. Mark Hamill was the voice of Wolverine. And on top of that, it was a stealth action game that actually utilized all Wolverine's powers in the best way because he wasn't overpowered. He, he could take hits, he can die. Uh, but if you were patient and you were more like stealthy, you could heal. If your claws were out, you couldn't heal because you'd be hurting yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, you would have to use your senses. So you'd have to follow smells in order to find secrets in the game and like secret rooms and all that stuff. You can unlock so many different costumes. The voice acting was top tier in this. Uh, there was some great deleted scenes in here. Spider-Man was a deleted scene in here. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I actually had to go out go out of my way and, and get this back into my collection. 
I, I found the PC version, thank God. Um, it's If you want it, you probably could still find another copy. That This was a sealed copy, by the way, that I that was able to uh, acquire. But yeah, Wolverine's Revenge, man. This, this game, when this movie came out, this game was the bomb. And completely overlooked because if you look at this cover you're like man this looks like a terrible movie yeah somebody bought it for me for xbox i, I still have it it's and you hated it's, them for it you're like why'd you buy me this garbage i know right it's probably right there at the bottom because i have yeah. an alphabetical order i remember bits and pieces of it i never beat it i got up to lady deathstrike and i fought her on like a helicopter pad which kept killing me um and i i remember just little snippets but this is not the game there's a game that explains why Nightcrawler doesn't show up in X-Men 3, and it's not this game, is it? It's some no, it's other not game. This, not this game at all. Okay. So this maybe... game this game had very little to do with anyone outside of Wolverine. Right. <laughs> um, it, it's But it's a game that covers a lot of good comic lore. Like, you have Wendigo in there, um, and they do have, like, snippets of information about the characters, which is really great. You had Colossus, you have Magneto, Omega Red uh lady death strike uh but but not only that like the characters designs are really good in this game as well so it was a just a phenomenal phenomenal game marvel was putting out fire back then they were just like yeah here's an x2 here's a what's that hulk massive destruction hulk ultimate destruction uh, yeah destruction. no i got that here too yeah right. there it is uh-huh right. It, uh, sorry, my green screen is probably preventing. You oh. from seeing. It looks like Red Hulk's ultimate destruction. It does, yeah. Um, and then you also had actually, is this one? Uh, this one copyrighted as uh, Okay, this one's two thousand eight, so a few years later. But then you had uh, this gem, Spider-Man: Web of Shadows. Uh huh. And you also got your boy Wolverine right there. So yeah. Um, but yeah, that this was a great game as well. Um. Yeah, so Marvel was pumping out some solid comic book games at the time, for sure. So is that what you would have been playing around the time this movie came out? Yeah, uh, I, I rented it, actually, uh, back in the day when renting was a thing. You kids kids today may not know the joy that was renting games at the time. But, um, you know, the, the beauty of renting games at the time was discovering games. And that game, we rented it. And man, did it not disappoint. I eventually I bought it, uh, but it was, yeah, it was a great game. Ah, uh, sweet. Uh, what was, where was I? Where was I at in May, 2003? Let's see, I would have been about to graduate from grade 10. Like grade 10 was coming to a close. Mm -hmm. um, and around that time, I might've even been the same month. It might've been the month of May, but there was another game based sort of off a movie, but not really, that I was like frothing up the mouth for, uh, which was Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, so yes. That that came out probably that same month as X-Men 2. And that was the first time ever, Ryan, that I was tracking the progress of a video game's development on the internet. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I think it was on like the force.net or something where, and they were just like, they would have screenshots of like, here's a droid. And I'm like, oh my God, this game is got, um, and I, I remember distinctly that it was this time because I was playing that game and it was still relatively new. I was playing it a few months after X-Men 3 came out when we had the great Northeastern blackout of 2003 in August and I lost oh. a bunch of saved data. 
in the middle of uh, killing some Tuscan Raiders. Uh, so that was uh, that was all where I was around this time. Oh, the great blackout that takes me back. Oh yeah. my god. That was that was something else. I still have that newspaper from it somewhere. I was I was working at Square One at the time. Ooh, which store? Randy River. Randy River, oh my god. <laughs> Did you greet people the same way you greeted me when we first met? Like they walked in, hey, what's up, Rogers and what welcome to Randy River? How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Hundred percent. That's what I did. <laughs> uh, actually, too, I had a really good rapport with my teammates. Naturally, I have I have that gift with my team. You always want to work on my team. That's that's usually the mm-hmm. motto. Not to not to toot my own horn, but we have a good time. Uh, but uh, with my team at that time, we actually made a comic book with just photos, and it was really fun. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I remember too. My coworker, he was a big, he was a big fan of Clone High, and he loved doing the the JFK impersonation. So you would, uh, I'll try to do it best I can. But he, uh, his scene was he, the only thing he could do in the comic book. His superpower was he would be able to fold clothes in three fra- frames, <laughs> and he's and he would do it, and it would be like unfolded to mid folded to folded and he'd be like and i didn't uh, uh scuff my loafers <laughs> <laughs> remember when you and i did a clone high scene in uh in voice acting class oh uh. <laughs> i was i was gandhi and you were jfk um and, and actually another coincidence man because at this time summer of 03 that's when like clone high and undergrads were were on TV. That's we're when they dominate, were in syndication. Where uh, Teletoon was dominating in the adult, kind of the adult swim stuff. Yes, Teletoon yeah. after dark there. I was spending my nights in my room. I had a tiny little TV and I would either play Nets with the Public or watch undergrads. And that was happening at this time. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember Clone High. I remember laughing so hard. I think you and I, wasn't it that you and I did the scene where JFK is teaching Gandhi how to be JFK. Yes, <laughs> yes. He's like, I need to mess <laughs> Oh, supper, I would like the uh, party platter. <laughs> oh, that takes me back so much. Oh, my God. And oh, I have, I, it's not a good memory, but I remember when I went to go see X-Men 2 in theaters, um, when we left, we went to Silver City, Brampton, and uh, I don't know if you ever, I think you've been to Silver City, Brampton with me maybe once. Um, it's not the greatest area. It's not the safest area. No, um, no I, I don't feel, I don't feel safe walking out. After no, movie. <laughs> our, our mutual friend, Izzy, he got mugged at that movie theater. Um, yeah, it's, it's not, but we walked out of X-Men 2 and there was a, there's a big staircase out front, like a huge wide, like big, big staircase. Um, and there was a fight going on. And that's, I think, the only time in my life I've ever actually seen a, a guy punch another guy in the face, like in real life. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was, that was happening. I was like, okay, let's go. Uh, but yeah, that's, I always correlate that with X2 because that was what had happened. Uh, but this might be, Ryan, the first movie with the Marvel logo with the, the flipping pages Marvel logo. Oh, that's ever. right. Yeah. Part one didn't have it, did it? No, it didn't have it. No, because it just dropped right into Marvel. Like it would just, or sorry, it would drop into 20th Century Fox and, and then it would just go. Like it would yeah. just kick off. 
Um, that's true. Yeah, no, this one. So this one, um, I love, again, they play up the, the evolution of the intro of like mutant evolution and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, couple of quick thoughts that I noticed about this movie. One, it's ultra violent. Uh, this one's a very violent, uh, uh X-Men two. Uh, they also get a little weird with this one because they open up with Xavier with the astral projection, uh, which was something we, we have only seen from the, from the cartoon very, very briefly. Um, obviously the comic books happens quite a bit, but it was, it was interesting to see him do the whole astral projection. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this movie kicks off. Uh, and again, at this point, I do remember now at this point for me getting exposed to comic book movies, the, the modern comic book movie. Um, uh, I, again, like this one was back in the day when you had to actually line up for a movie to get good seats. And yeah. I, I definitely tried to get, I didn't have to like sleep the day before or anything like that. It wasn't like Star Wars craze or, you know, whatever. Um, but this one, I do remember lining up to make sure that I got like really good seats. I also saw this movie like four or five times in the theater because I just I had to watch it. Um, and 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 this one, in terms of like comic book action, this one does like deliver. Uh, you know, we have the opening scene with Nightcrawler invading the White House, and I thought that was oh my god, such a perfect scene. It's so well constructed. Um, I love like the operatic music as he's just like flying through and I love the smoke effect they did for this one. It was like a really kind of cool, like it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, um, doesn't look terrible. It aged really well. It kind of really, it's, if I were to design the smoke effect based on what I saw from the cartoon or even the, the comic books or games, like that was, that would be the natural evolution of it in terms of, uh, CG. Yeah, it and it it ages well today. Like it doesn't look cheap. Um, man, that is such a wonderful intro to a character. Yeah, and it, it's it's tough to pull off because Nightcrawler's such a gentle person. Mm -hmm. So you know, with his powers and with the way he looks, you automatically want to see him do spooky stuff. But he's not that kind of guy. So. They got to have their cake and eat it too because you have a brainwashed Nightcrawler bopping around the White House, taking people out while classical music is playing. And I just, the, the people in the theater, I remember they went nuts. They were like, oh, Nightcrawler. Like everybody, people were talking about that scene for years. Yeah, no, that scene was, yeah, I remember I remember a lot of people in the theater being really hype about that scene as well, and, and especially starting off with, with a character like Nightcrawler. And it's funny, too, because my brother, again, he X-Men is, is an area he knows really well. Like, for me, I was very street-level heroes. I knew the X-Men, but my brother knew the X-Men. Like, he really deep-dived into it. Um, he was really into it, especially when Jim Lee took over. Now you have to understand something um, if you're kind of like, if you're interested in learning more about the world of X-Men and, and you're kind of joining us in this ride, um, what made X-Men so edgy and cool was in the nineties, there was a new surge of like these rock star comic book artists. Uh, there was McFarlane who eventually would go on to do Spawn. Uh, and then there was Liefeld who would eventually go on to do uh, like he did. He made Liefeld made dead Deadpool. Like he yeah. made Deadpool who he is. Um, so there was Liefeld who, who was doing like Deadpool at the time. And then he went off to do, 
he went off to do some weird comic book runs of his own um, that were, you know, very interesting. There's one, there's one guy I really want to focus on because he, he, in my mind, is still one of the coolest artists to this day. Uh, and he did some splash pages on that wonderful comic book collection we talked about. I didn't bring my binder down here, but I was going to do that. Mm. Um, but those 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 ninety three cards that we collected, and we did uh, we did a couple streams on them. There's this beautiful X Men splash page, and it's done by a guy named Jim Lee. Jim Lee is the guy who made X Men like super edgy and cool. He's the guy who made Psylocke that foxy Cleopatra that she is. <laughs> um uh with that that beautiful hair and that and that edgy outfit she has um but he was known for making x-men the x-men comics feel more adult and right. and uh you know uh at the time i think the comic book artists would use um the sports illustrated swimsuit editions to to find their their muses for these for certain characters um in fact, you do see Jim Lee's X-Men in the cartoon. And that his that's the X-Men that were, you know, from the cartoon. That's the X-Men that um, Jim Lee really led during his run. Um, so he, yeah, so he made X-Men really edgy and cool. And you kind of you kind of have to give him props because despite Singer not really following comic books, he still kind of used, you can see that he used that edginess. But the reason why I also wanted to talk about the comic book side of it is that if you look at Nightcrawler's progression, Nightcrawler didn't start off as this cold god, like, you know, the god-worshipping character. He was actually kind of a real douchebag. Like, he was a, he was annoying. What? He would mouth off a lot, and he would, um, he would play pranks on people. So he was kind of a bizarre... He, you could tell when they first were writing him, he, they didn't know what to do with him as a character. But I think the when they did a comic book series in the 80s, the Silver Age, they did a God Love, Man Kills kind of comic book run. Um, and uh, Nightcrawler goes through finding his faith and then really diving into the religious angle. And then that becomes the Nightcrawler that we know not only in the cartoon, but in the movie as well. Uh, uh, and they really lean into it in the movie. Like they really take it that extra mile um but it fits like you could tell singer had some really cool kind of story structure ideas and hater was back in it this time again our boy yeah. david hater uh <laughs> who you have a hilarious relation to in a way um but um but yeah so you can tell they really had some solid themes uh but you could i feel like hater probably got a back back seat in this one a bit because it seems like there were some ideas that were kind of contending with others uh, in terms of fighting for the spotlight. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, I wanted to mention that comic book angle for a little bit because I wanted to kind of give you the, the idea of, you know, what they're pulling from in terms of just themes and sources a little bit. They didn't have to read the comics, but you can tell that the edginess that Jim Lee brought, you can see it not only from the cartoon, but you see it in the movie as well. That's cool. I didn't know that about Nightcrawler. Um I like when that happens with a comic book character where it takes a while to kind of find their groove and yeah. then they find their groove and they just stick with that version of the character from then on. Cause it's like, that's who we want this person to be. You're right about hater. Cause he had solo writing credit in the first one, but here he's uh, he's got, he's sharing screenplay credit with Michael Doherty and Dan Harris. And uh, also he shares story credit with Zach Penn, who is a, a big Marvel writer. So you're right. There was a lot of love spread around the writing table this time. 
you can tell there's a lot of ideas happening in this movie. It is a very packed movie. Yeah. Um, you also feel in this White House scene, um, maybe this is just me reading too much into it, but you really feel the sense of the culture of the time seeping in, particularly the post 9-11 war on Iraq culture, because that really was a tipping point. And then a lot of pop culture changed because of it. And you see, I mean, to start off with a quote unquote terrorist in the White House, it's it's so on the nose, right, for that. Um, and then, you know, thankfully the movie is about like, hey, not everybody from every group is bad. Like that that's what X-Men's all about. But I just, I, I thought it was kind of very telling when you're in periods of time like that, you know, media, not media, but like pop culture always gives you a sense of wish fulfillment. Uh, when Trump was in office, you saw lots of movies where the president was very clearly a not Trump figure to be like, wouldn't this be nice, <laughs> right? Uh, and you could kind of see the same thing happening here because the the war in Iraq was probably at its height, if not already had already peaked by this point. Mm -hmm. And people were getting tired of, you know, what Bush was throwing around and like, oh man, this guy is really dropping the ball. And so they introduced their, their fictional president right away by having him be the most like centered family man. Like literally the first thing he says is like, cancel that meeting. I want to have dinner with my son. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's so like, Oh, wouldn't it be nice if this was America right now? <laughs> it's, it's just funny seeing, I, I love seeing how the culture of what's going on in the world impacts how storytelling happens at that same time. Uh, yeah. I love like watching a movie from any era. That's not the modern era. I love looking at it and be like, Hmm, you know, Warren Harding, what were you up to there, buddy? When they <laughs> made this picture. So, no, I, but I mean, even Marvel comics does that really well. They take like kind of the social climate of that time and they put it into the comics to kind of make, make that world, uh, digestible in a sense of of understanding all the parties and then like mm -hmm. letting you the reader kind of follow the narrative like kind of pick your side uh yeah. x-men x-men did that a lot they really made you made you the the viewer kind of look at both parties here and 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 make you go okay who do you think is bad like you know what i mean like do you like and and they they I, in my mind, they did it best with X-Men. And I, I don't think they ever truly were able to repeat the formula uh, as gracefully as they did with X-Men. Um, and yeah, so no, it, you're right, though. It was a great way to, uh, you know, it was a great way to modernize the X-Men and then find a way to, you know, take the social climate of the time and kind of yet still use themes that were the foundation of X-Men. But you know, put it in that like today's or of that time's world and then mix it all together to to make X-Men relevant. And I, yeah, it was, it was a great way to do it. X-Men always did seem like it was the most socially conscious and socially relevant thing Marvel was ever putting out. Mm -hmm. uh, like it really, like Stan Lee always talks about this is all happening outside your door. You know, it's not more fantasy like dc this is all happening in the real world and x-men really seemed tuned into that yeah the most um with good reason 
you know, yeah, it's it's funny because it's 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 a relation to what like you know how the world is, right? Um, but Spider Man is like what how it relates to you, yes, and the obstacles it comes to you. But X Men's the world that you can see and like, but yeah. you 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 kind of decide how you want to fit in that world, right? Like it's it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, way of writing for sure. I, I'm a big fan of it. I, I really love it. Um, and so, so getting into it. So yeah, the, the white house scene was a great, great way to, and it, and it's a great kind of step up from the first one. Cause the first one is the government and kind of the friends of humanity versus X-Men and, and, you know, Magneto solution is, is like, let's just, you know, turn them all into mutants. And then everyone's, you know, going to get along. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one though, is like, it literally plays up the next step is like okay if that doesn't work and they make you even think it's probably magneto right like mm -hmm. take out the president and like you know mutants need to be superior you know bob's your uncle um this time around though yeah they do that kind of really cool scene very awesome and then they get into you know we get into uh you know where xavier's at and the the whole the plastic prison I, you know the, all that stuff gets it gets into the next steps but uh, you know, and the X-Men going to the museum and, and it kind of kicks off that reintroducing that theme. And I think this movie does a good job again of, of keeping the experienced audience and the mid audience and or the new audience, people in the back in the front of the theater in the middle. Mm -hmm. It always kind of reinforce. It's like, Hey, you know uh, you know, we had uh, you know, oh, man, what do we call it? You know, we had these uh, they talk about the cavemen essentially. And then how mutants kind of deviated and how they were homo superior or how they however they said it and then yeah so they do a good job of introducing the history and the lore through explaining to the audience well you know the the more experienced audience is like oh yeah i get it i know what's going on here yeah and that museum way is not only a great way to kind of introduce everybody again by having them all on a field trip like mm -hmm. that's smart because otherwise how do you get all these characters in the same room um I, I thought it was very funny that Cyclops' first line in the movie was, Gene, what's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it couldn't be more on the nose. It's uh, funny because the note I have that I was trying to work my way over to, I was going to say, they really nailed Gene and Cyclops' relationship. <laughs> they did. Well, they, it's true. I mean, you got to give uh, good old uh, James Marsden some props, man. He He really... I, if they were to cast Cyclops again today, I I would still keep him, man. Oh, he, yeah. he he didn't do anything wrong, like nothing. No. And he got the short end of the stick in this movie, man. Like Marsden turns up and then he's gone. He's he's gone for like the second, third, and fourth act. Like he's just out of there, and then yeah. he just pops up at the end. But he, um, but at the end though, to be fair, he delivers what I would call an Oscar award winning performance for a really cheesy moment uh where he's talking to xavier essentially but oh. man does he deliver emotions like oh i felt every second of that he yeah does. No, they did really nail the relationship there but you know what's funny is the storms talking about you know the evolution of men right and like you know how going from uh oh i am not i just can't think of the word right now but anyway uh, they go from like the cavemen prehistoric time, right? And like talking about the evolution of mutants. And then you see uh, uh, Pyro uh, having trouble with a guy who wants his fire. Mm -hmm. 
and he's That's able to admit, you know, that it's just such a beautiful, and, and I, I was, I didn't realize that until I, I really thought about it. I was like, huh, that is actually really smart and no one's going to pick up on it, but it's really clever is that they're fighting over fire. That's a great catch, man. And then on top of the fire too, it's like the very just crude fundamental thing of like those two guys start looking at Rogue and like, hey, hey girl. Yeah. And and it's like, oh, it becomes this me protect my lady from other man kind of like Neanderthal thing. And you really get the sense. That's the word I was like. Ah, thinking. there it is. Uh, you, you get the sense too that, I, I don't know, but it, you get the sense that maybe Pyro kind of might have a thing for Rogue. Um, and he's just sort of like, he's there along for the ride. He's their friend, but he's kind of a dick. Um, what, what did you think of Pyro? Because you were familiar with the character at the time this movie came out. I was not. I did not remember him that much from the cartoons because he didn't make an impression. So I didn't realize Pyro existed until this movie and then like playing like X-Men Legends a couple years later. So did this, because this is a departure from what Pyro usually is. He's usually just straight up a, a goon. I think he's British. He works for Magneto. He's, he's Australian. Australian, um, yeah. Yeah, he is Australian. And uh, um, yeah, he's kind of just, but like, that's the thing. Like you have to understand, like, first of all, it really focuses on the school. So these characters, especially like these, like characters out of left field here, like Pyro, um, you know, obviously because he's a student, they, they really kind of, in my opinion, nerfed him in order to fit within this, like to give him context and a reason to be in the scene. Mm -hmm. um, I, but again, it just like, it's kind of like, you know, there are thousands of like characters in the school. You could have just like pulled from the pool and like, you know, had, had a good time there, but you know what? He's an interesting, his power is interesting and it's fun. Um, but, but the, but again, going back to the genius, the genius of, you know, them fighting over fire, which, you know, playing to the Neanderthals and everything. That was, I, I mean, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, but you could have made him Sunfire. Um, I don't know if you know what he looks like, but once you saw, once you see a picture of him, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, you could have, you could have gone a thousand ways. Um, yeah. I mean, again, it was just, I guess it was just a casting choice at the time. And, and again, just trying to figure out a way to have a fire character in it. Um yeah, but uh, yeah, the museum scene was kind of interesting, and it, it was kind of cool to see Xavier, you know, freeze everybody. And mm -hmm. uh, but again, it was good foreshadowing for this movie is is textbook structuring for like foreshadowing and themes, and you know all those all those things you would learn about when you're building a story. It is literally the fundamentals of it. Uh, it does so many things right. Um, I, for starters, like we move on into the next scene after the museum, we meet our villain. We meet William Stryker. Oh, right? We meet Brian Cox. I honestly, I hated his guts. What a jerk. <laughs> and I mean, it was such a choice. Like you, when you think about it, Ryan, it's incredible. You go from X-Men 1, which is a relatively speaking, kind of a small, low-key comic book movie, right? Mm -hmm. it, it was a Baby Steps comic book movie. Uh, where your villain is Magneto, because sure, it makes sense. So then you go to X-Men 2, which is bigger in every sense of the word, and there's so much going on, and it's giant and everything. And it would have been so easy to make the villain another mutant, but they didn't do that. 
They made the villain just a guy who's like, you know what? I don't care for your kind. And he he just wreaks havoc. And it's so, I mean, it's the perfect X-Men villain because of what it stands for. And it's the perfect way to, as we'll see later, get these two groups of mutants to come to a kind of understanding. And I love when that happens. But I, I just think the choice of having Stryker was such a, a bold choice uh, for your your second movie villain. Uh, and he did not disappoint. And uh, on top of that, they maintained a sense of consistency that was really impressive to me, which is what they did with Mystique. I feel like today you wouldn't get that same consistency of her still being posing as Senator Kelly. Yeah. I don't know. That just felt really impressive to me. I did, does that make sense? It's like, oh man, you know, three years later, mm-hmm. nobody would necessarily care if she was just sneaking around or whatever. But no, they, they kept her as Kelly. Like she's playing this long game of trying to get Magneto back. I, what, I, what I liked about it was they didn't explain that to the audience. Like, you know what yes. I mean? They didn't like spell it out like, oh, it's Mystique being Senator Kelly. Yeah. Like you just, you, you either knew that or you didn't. Like it's, it's that simple. Like it's, it's that divided. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, but that's the thing. They were, they knew that their audience was smart. And at the same time, even if you didn't know that it was, you know, Senator Kelly or not Senator Kelly, um, you kind of, you take this step, you, you have her transform later on. You're like, oh yeah, she's a shape-shifting character. So clearly, you know, she could have been Senator Kelly and all that stuff. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like they find a way to keep the audience up to pace without having to over explain it right in front of you. And I really appreciated that on the note of striker though. I didn't like striker. I don't like him, And it, maybe it's cause like, I just didn't like the character, but like, there are just other ways, man. There are other ways you could have done it. And I just, I didn't, I get, I don't get me wrong. I agree with you. I get the intelligence of like how they structured him in and gave, gave a character that really united two characters that were literally at conflict in the last movie. And it was a great evolution of conflict, but was he the best character to do that with? Not in my opinion, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give him, I'll give him this one. You so know. you wanted a different villain for X Men too? I would love Mister Sinister. Uh, you know, he likes oh. he likes manipulating and playing around with mutants. Um, would he have been the guy that would make Magneto say like, "Let's work together"? X Men would he have been? That yeah, guy? Uh, absolutely, he would. Uh, for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely because here's the thing if you follow the cartoon there's a great episode called the savage land mm-hmm. uh where magneto uh this is the past of magneto that yeah. they didn't talk about right and he was like using mutants as technically you know slaves what have you mm-hmm. and here comes mr sinister and he just picks up where magneto left off and magneto doesn't like him he's like look i learned my mistakes all right this is wrong and but mr sinister's like is it and he's manipulating genetics and he's playing around with everything. I There were other ways. Or I would have loved Dr. Cornelius because he's the one who spearheaded the, the Weapon X program. And he was the one who made Wolverine who he is. And he was experimenting the ideas of government weapons. So why didn't they use him? Like I don't know that character. Dr. Cornelius? Oh, he's a good one. 
He's he's the he's like the bald dude with the really thin glasses in in the cartoon. He's uh, you see him all the time in the X Men cartoon because they always replay Wolverine's origin story, and he's right there every step of the way. But he was the one who led the the program, the Weapon X program, and created oh. Wolverine. And it was funny too because um, uh, they even talk about it in the video game too. But like they they were going to test on Wolverine first the 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 claws and everything. And yeah. then they were going to do it to Sabretooth. And they were going to, like, they were uh, require, like acquiring different mutants for, like, government weapons. So mm-hmm. it would have been really nice to have him. And which brings me to my next note, uh, which is, of course, we get Senator Kelly. And he's always like, oh, you have Magneto hostage. What is this? Uh, and they show, um, they show as Stryker's going in that Stryker has Lady Deathstrike. Mm-hmm. Does he ever? They did her dirty. <laughs> you, to be fair, yes, they absolutely did her. They took like they took a, a crime boss essentially and made her a, a, a petty thug. <laughs> um, they took a character who yeah. has every bit of reason to be all tied into Wolverine's story, and this is this is the second time they've done it. You think they learned it the first time with Sabretooth, but nope, they're no. gonna do it again. <laughs> Another character that's a henchman, the right-hand man of, of another character, of the main villain, has everything to do with Wolverine, and they do they do nothing, they say nothing, and that's... Now, in her to her credit... There's this, no credit! <laughs> when this came out, I, I don't think IMDB was a thing back then. Yeah. Um, I thought, for whatever reason, I thought Kelly Who was like a triple A tier movie star. Mm-hmm. I, I, I recognized her name from something and I couldn't have told you what it was, um, but she never the really, admit, you know what? That might be it, but she never really became a big name. And it's too bad because she's awesome. She's so much fun. She's gorgeous. She's talented. Like, and she never like became a household name at all. And it's, it's kind of sad. And I, I don't blame X2 for it. But yeah, uh, they, they did do her. He is a household pretty... name, but not not on camera, but behind the microphone. Absolutely, that's right. She's, she's all over the board. Uh, yes, the she's quite a voice actor. I think she played Karai in one of the Ninja Turtles cartoons. She did. Yeah. Uh, she she was also in Batman the animated series. She was also in a ton of DC projects. Who was she? Characters. Who was she in the animated series? Uh, was she Talia? No, it wasn't Natalia. I can't remember. May I think it was closer to the end of the animated series. I'm oh, okay. pretty sure. Uh, but she was definitely in one of my favorite uh, DC animated movies, which was Under the Red Hood. Uh, and she played uh, she played the the assistant to Black Mask. Oh, all right. Okay. Oh no, sorry. She was in. Uh, I think she was in Justice League. That's what she was in. Not Batman the animated series. She was in Justice League. Okay. Yeah. Justice League was a very good cartoon. Yeah, um, she was really good. Yeah, they they did do her dirty. It's a shame, um, but because uh, like, okay, hold on, because like Isabel and I were watching this, and I, I'm sorry, I'm really dominating the mic here, but like, okay. but like, I have to really stress my frustration. And this is this is the be this is like the beginning. Like like the first movie was like a soft beginning, but this was a deep beginning where you started crossing lines. 
as a comic book fan, okay? You mm. you made some mistakes and you just you weren't even apologetic about it. Uh, but like you here again, a right hand, a right hand character, uh, again, like pure henchman, um, you know, supporting the main villain, and they have everything to do with Wolverine. They, they hold the source story of Wolverine, and and like there's so much you could have done with them, and they just, they're just these silent characters that like like look like sort of like the character i guess i don't know yeah. it's, it's terrible it's it's so brutal and like like Sabretooth, they did okay because he looks like Sabretooth. he's a mangy looking big scary dude uh lady deathstrike you if they didn't put her name in the credits i had no idea who she was i had or even when the claws came out i'd be like oh i see what you're trying to do but that's not that's not lady deathstrike no 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 I mean, I love that they picked Kelly Who. They could have really flexed her. They could have really used her and done some really cool things. But no, no, we had to make her some silent, silent, just good-looking girl that can just claw and stab people. And like that's it. That's all she does. But she she can fight like Wolverine. She can claw and scratch like Wolverine, but she doesn't do anything. And, <laughs> and the worst part is, the worst part is on top of that, is like if you understand her story, like again, if the cartoon did it right, why wouldn't you follow the cartoon? And like the cartoon followed the comic book, could have followed the comic book. But here's the thing: is that you like this girl, her her father invented the the infusion process uh-huh. for the adamantium. He knew how to liquefy it and put it into a human being. Okay, then Dr. Cornelius was the execution guy. He took the idea and then he put it in Wolverine and then they killed him for it. And then they, then uh, Yuriko, which is Lady Deathstrike's name, by the yeah. way, would you have known that in the movie? No, you wouldn't. But then, so Yuriko was like, oh snap, you know, I, she thought that Wolverine killed her dad. So she went on a whole rampage, thus Lady Deathstrike to get her, to get uh, Wolverine. And so she uses the same process uh, but she uses a more crude uh, uh, science team known as the Reavers, who are cybernetic uh, mm-hmm. dudes, to make her who she is. And then she goes out on this killing spree. Now, I may be missing some details here. But, again, if this is if this storyline is about Wolverine, why wouldn't you just sprinkle that little detail in there? Why? Instead it is a shame. Us, instead of giving us this half-fast Phoenix bullshit <laughs> Bull crap. It's okay. This is Infinity Rewatch X. You can swear your heart out because I'm about to soon with my next note. Okay. Um, but yeah, <laughs> well, I, I even put the note after Lady Deathstrike. I'm like, William Stryker, odd villain. Odd villain. <laughs> <laughs> that, that needs to be written on the DVD. <laughs> William Stryker, odd villain. <laughs> I enjoy it. Uh, I, I love Stryker as the villain. Um, Here's here's one thing that could be the saving grace for Yoriko. No, <laughs> it better it better be a huge thing because I don't think there's any saving in this one. Literally, it's just this. It's just all that interesting stuff could be happening behind the scenes, but she just got the brainwashed juice. So once it wears they off, they could have they could have used that. Oh man, they could have used all that fuel to explain that. You're Absolutely. right. Yeah, you're right. It is a more interesting story than what we got for sure. But uh, yeah, they they really neutered her. They neutered Sabretooth. Um, they just it, it's like they needed just henchmen, 
and they just went looking for them in all the wrong places. Mm -hmm. uh, very strange. Uh, speaking mm -hmm. for looking at things for things in all the wrong places, though, Logan goes to Alkali Lake um, to find himself. He doesn't. He finds an empty, what he thinks is empty, base, and it's all abandoned, and he sees a lone wolf, and the lone wolf is like, I'm a metaphor for you, and then it disappears, and then he goes back to the X-Mansion, uh, and he greets Rogue, and we see that Rogue and Bobby are a thing now, and I just think it's very funny that uh, basically the first thing Wolverine does when he finds out Rogue and Bobby are dating is he asks them, how do you guys fuck? <laughs> that's, his, that's his train of thought. Uh, it's like literally one of the first lines that, that he has in the whole movie. Uh, and I just thought that was, that was uh, pretty on point with Wolverine, right? Mm. It's not like, oh, congratulations. Oh, he seems like a good kid, blah, blah, blah. It's, so uh, how does it work? Um, that's, that's Wolverine for you. Um, and then he, he goes and talks to Xavier and Cerebro. And there's a, a thing that happens in this scene. This scene, the Cerebro scene, Ryan, makes me laugh every time I think of it. And it's not the movie's fault. Okay. It's the fault of a little something called Mad Magazine. Because I had I was collecting Mad magazines at the time of this, and they obviously they do parodies of all the big movies, right? And in their parody for this, uh, they have a, a panel of their their thing where they're doing the Cerebro scene, and you have to understand when I'm reading this, I'm picturing the actors saying this, so I'm hearing Patrick Stewart's voice, mm -hmm. and the way they wrote this parody is he's talking to Wolverine, he's like, the white things that you see. The white, the white people are the humans and the red ones are the mutants and the mushroom gives me super jumping ability. <laughs> <laughs> I can see I can see how that would live with you for a very long time. That's all I think. Every time I see that Cerebro scene, I'm just like, I'm thinking the mushrooms are going to give you super jumping ability. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, well, it's funny, too, because when is it, I actually laughed really hard last night watching this, because, like, just some absurdities of this this whole thing. Uh, but, like, like Isabella and I were watching it, and, and Wolverine's there, and he's smoking, and then, you know, um, Xavier's like, yeah, continue smoking in here, I'll make you think you're a woman, blah, 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 blah. And and so what does he do? He puts it out in his hand. And he's just like, oh god, right? And Isabella's like, why didn't you just put it out on the floor? <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, I'm like, well, he knows he can heal, and she's like, well, he could avoid pain altogether. He just put it on. <laughs> oh man, Isabella needs to do commentary on every movie. Oh, she, there just has to be a commentary track that she records. But there's one detail we we missed as as we're progressing through. I took this in my notes. I remember seeing this in theaters, and this really weeded out the really nerdy from the. This is really out weeded out the back of the audience to the front of the audience. Okay, uh -huh. uh, Mystique is going through the computer, and she goes through the list of names. Okay, yes. and they do it on purpose. They literally linger right on one name before they jump into uh, where Magneto is being held is uh, they go over Remy LeBeau. And Remy if you know your, your comic book history and you know your characters, then you clearly know that is a reference to Gambit. Um, and, <laughs> like, and like, I thought, I thought to me, that's like their teaser that they're going to introduce Gambit in the next one. And I was like, I was 100% 
all for it. I was like, let's go. Let's give us some gambit. I cannot wait to see that. And I was just like, like literally, I was just like head exploding moment. It was, it was the same feeling when, uh, when in Captain America Winter Soldier, when, uh, what's his name, Jasper mentions Doctor Strange. Right. The doctors. It was the same feeling. I was like, and just like brain matter just just explodes but yeah it was it was such a small teaser and at the at like now as far as we've come today i'm just like wow that was a real that was a real teaser back then but man today today's world that would not pass that would not suffice no the we're still waiting for remy lebeau mystique um and i i should have freeze framed it i didn't because there's a lot of names on there but there is one name that I that stood out to me, mm-hmm. and it's another name we are still possibly waiting for. I saw the name Franklin Richards. Did you? I did not see Franklin Richards. Yeah, oh. right in like a bottom corner, and it was there for a second, and it's gone. And I'm like, Oof. saucy. That's yeah. real. Well, it makes sense too because uh, Fox had the rights to Fantastic Four, so they could have they could have yeah. really done it right. Um, but it's also funny because he's not a mutant, so that's yeah, that's that that kind of threw me off. I'm like, why is his name there? Yeah, why, is, why is he there? Yeah, it's weird. And that's um, when we get Lady Death Strikes one line. What are you doing? I mean, like Kelly Who is a fine actor. You can't give her some more like she's not odd job, let her talk. <laughs> Honestly, like she's such a great, I hope, I hope, and we'll, I know we'll talk about this near the end, but obviously during Infinity Rewatch here and watching X2, I got a lovely little message from you that the Deadpool trailer dropped during the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, and it did not disappoint by any stretch no. of the imagination. Uh, it was, it was every bit, and I think I actually just saw a headline uh, come up on my newsfeed that uh, it is the most watched trailer of, of pretty much all time at this point. Nice. Uh, naturally so. I mean, I just don't get the dead. I don't get the Deadpool craze. Like, I get it, but I don't get it. Like, in the comics, I didn't get it then. And then now he's, like, blown up to be, like, the best character. And it's just, like, I just don't get it. There's other... Captain America was a great character. Like, why did he get the love? Um, anyway... Yeah, she has the one line, and is, uh, they did her. But what I, what I was gonna say, yes, with this trailer, I hope maybe it would be really great if they like made the best versions of these X Men characters we saw using the actors that we had. Wouldn't that be uh, nice? Bring Kelly back. Yeah, uh, bring Kelly back. Have her have her fully decked out as Lady Deathstrike. I would love to see that. The Sabretooth guy, bring him back. Make him more Sabretooth. Well, no, I actually no, I love Leo Schreiber uh, uh, Sabretooth. But bring him back. <laughs> no, you didn't like it. I, I thought one. when we I get to that he... movie, I, I will talk about Leave Oh no, that movie, uh... that movie is terrible. But his performance <laughs> of Sabretooth was the bomb. Like, He's a great actor. Yeah. Uh, and his performance was great, but that was Oh, the garbage movie. Don't not my Sabretooth at all. <laughs> no, hey. Oh wow. No. Oh, we'll we'll have an interesting talk about that when, when yeah. we watch it. Uh, but yeah, so uh <laughs> the guy's one line. Um, so yeah, no, uh, then, uh, she gets the information she requires to break out Magneto. Uh, and on top of that, okay. So, so they, so, uh, Xavier sends off Storm and Jean to go get Nightcrawler. 
All I have to say in this note here is I even put it as a note, but we talked about it earlier. They nailed Nightcrawler. Like oh, they yeah. nailed exactly what the character should act and be like. Um, just a, a man of faith and like, just, you know, really, uh, 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 really being, and, and is Alan Cummings, I think is, uh, yeah. is the actor behind him. Yeah, he did it. Boris Grishenko. Yeah, Boris Grishenko. Uh, he did such a killer job as Nightcrawler. I know, apparently he said he would never do those kind of movies ever again. Like he's just, he said it was not fun. He didn't like being buried in makeup and like, um, but, um, but yeah, that performance was, was amazing. I love, love he's all speaking German, like, you know, yeah. and doing the whole, doing the whole <laughs> theatrics. Um, and I love, I love the running joke of him being like, uh, my name is, uh, Kurt Wagner, but in the Munich circus, they call me night and no one cares. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. But like, I love how they made him awkward, but it, it worked for the character because he is out, out, out. Uh, he's always outcasted as, you know, being a mutant that can't hide, even though right. he's the ability to teleport and run. He ends up finding the church that he can be part of and no one like treats him as a mutant. They treat him as like a brother, um, except for brother Reinhardt or whatever his name is. Uh, but um, yeah, they do a really good job of making him feel like a really awkward character, but it works so well. Like Wolverine, I love that he's like, uh, my name is Kurt Wagner, but then the Munich Circus, he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's just, he's terrific in this movie. <laughs> Talk about you go from X Men One where everybody does an amazing job, yeah. Um, but not everybody looks like you want them to look, with the exception of Xavier. Yeah. Right? And then along comes Nightcrawler, where it's like they go from we don't want to put actors in yellow clothes to like we're gonna make this guy look so accurate it's gonna scare <laughs> you, and it's like whoa, yeah. you, you just went from zero to a hundred. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Nightcrawler is is fantastic. Uh, okay, even, but this is the this is the climactic second act that is like the the attack on the school. Yes, the the breakout of Magneto and uh, the capture of of Nightcrawler all happening all at once. Uh, what a scene! What a, I I remember two audience reactions in this scene. One of them was the, the boy with the glasses who looks exactly like I did when I was like 12, by the way. You had the bucket haircut? I didn't have the bucket haircut, but I did have long hair and glasses. I was like a mini Harry Potter. Um, when when he walked in the hall and the, the, the guy shot him, I remember a girl in the audience actually like screamed. Like she thought the kid was dead. Like, she, like wow. a full on like you're in a horror movie and she reacted like, ah, like a full scream. And then uh, the fight is happening, the attack is happening, and then Siren shows up, Banshee's sister Siren, who I didn't know who that character was until this time, because thanks to Marvel United, I know who Siren is. I, I did not know about the character. But anyway, Siren shows up, she's screaming, she's doing the thing, and then when she finally gets shot, the audience applauded because <laughs> she was annoying. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Oh man, I forgot how rowdy audiences can be in a movie theater. But yeah. like, it's it there's there's kind of like a rule to it, you know. Like mm -hmm. people know, it's people people just at the time people inherently knew when to cheer, do some do or say something 
you know, at the right moments. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's the, like, it's almost like the movie had, like, a pause between, like, the action and then the result. And there's, like, a small breather moment. And everyone has, like, a reaction or something that takes place in that moment. Um, but, yeah, it was it's so funny. But, okay, so... So first of all, for me, <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about this scene so much. So the house invasion uh, is probably by far the best, the the best kind of Wolverine going berserker in, ever done, ever made, ever. I don't think it'll ever be topped. I'll be very surprised if this Deadpool Wolverine movie has anything remotely close to what that was, because. Cage fighting Wolverine, genius. Okay, you know him fighting Sabretooth in the end. Yeah, it was okay. It was fun. We had all had a laugh. We all had a great laugh. Him fighting Mystique, also entertaining. Hands down, House Invasion scene. That is the Wolverine we know and love. Oh, Ripping yeah. soldiers, a whole new one, giving them new holes to breathe out of. It was fantastic. This is what we live for. Okay, this is this is the comic book stuff we live for. So. First of all, the Bobby scene, the Bobby, the Bobby Wolverine rogue relationship is so bizarre, but I mean, I get it. Maybe he's like an older brother to her and like, you know, just, you know, always caring and like, you know, being like weird about it. Um, and he drinks the, he asked for beer in school or beer in a school. Uh, and this Bella was really funny about that too. She's like, why is he drinking beer in a school? <laughs> Like, it's just like he knows it's a school with kids. Like, why would he think there's beer here? He literally walked in and his feet were still on the, the doorway mat when he asked Rogue how she had sex with her boyfriend. Like, <laughs> this this guy does not give a crap. I don't know. I don't know how they thought like I guess like obviously I guess it was the time, I guess, terrible reason for it, but like but yeah, like like again, his relationship with Gene is really weird. Like it's just such a forced character. And it's like I get if you're trying to make him seem like a I don't even know what to call him, but like a really sleazy dude. They they went way too far. Like I know in acting, you want it when you're auditioning, you want to go high because then they can bring you down, they can focus you. But man, they just left him flying out in the wind <laughs> with those scenes. But but anyway. Getting to the point, so I love that he he senses the soldiers and probably could smell the the guns and all that stuff. And so <laughs> the soldier tackles him down, has the knife on him, and he's healing from the knife. And then you get probably the best Wolverine war cry I think you will ever hear in your your life when he double stabs him in the chest. And he's just like ah, like. <laughs> I when I first saw that I literally like felt it in my chest like I was just yeah. like oh. <laughs> like it was just so intense I felt the intensity that's what it is I felt the like you can tell I don't know if they did like 30 takes with that but you can tell that last take was the the one like they're like like man I'm just not feeling that scream you know Hugh you gotta you gotta really sell it all right give us the scream and that was that was the take. <laughs> Because you can just see it's out of his body, uh, but yeah, and then and then he does all the the cloak and dagger stuff where he's like stabbing the foot and like you know taking out dudes. The choreographer, whoever was a choreographer on that, they did not pay that person nearly enough no. for that scene. Anyway, uh, but and then the the other fun moment that I love about this is. Um, <laughs> Uh, is when he jumps off the balcony, uh, off the second floor of the house, and just like mm -hmm. you know, flying through the air. 
I was living. I I just lived for that scene. Okay, I just li- I can I can literally have a day where I'm like really stressed out. I will just watch that scene and just relieve all that stress because it's just it's just a joy to watch. Fun fact though too is that you know Storm's like, oh yeah, uh, Logan, we need someone to watch the kids. I'm so glad you're back or whatever. Um, and uh, clearly Colossus was there, and he's kind of adult looking. Uh, you know, Isabella's like, he looks like he's like 18 or something like that. Like maybe a really old looking 18. I don't know. He seemed pretty old to me. Yeah, that guy's pushing 30. Um, Yeah. It was an odd choice not to make him Russian. Yeah. But it was cool to see a Colossus cameo, I guess. They really went all out with the cameos. I was was excited uh, again when they showed off Colossus and, and especially the armor coming over him. Yeah. I was I was living for it. I had put that note in there. I was like, Colossus. Yeah. And it's such a quintessential X-Men thing of just seeing them like helping each other out and just, you know, getting through this crisis together. That as a family, that is what mm. X-Men's all about. Uh, and this Berserk scene, they they sold the Berserk scene as like that was their main selling point of the movie. Because uh, they used to have back before the dark times, kids used to be able to get a free magazine at the movie theater, and it would tell you stuff about upcoming movies, right? And I remember reading the magazine about X two, and I don't know if it was Hugh Jackman or if it was Brian Singer, but one of them was saying like, "Look, in X Men one, we kind of had Wolverine on a leash, yeah. and every everybody knows." that he's not usually that guy. So in X-Men 2, we have a scene where we're taking him off that leash and they made mention of this. So like it was in the director's minds and in the writer's minds of like, we need that berserker moment because we didn't get it in part one. So, oh yeah, they know. But again, they gave us Caged Wolverine and like, yeah, that's still great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that berserk scene was fun. Now the striker, oh my God, the striker um so yeah the the that was great i mean uh you know wolverine he's like is that you blah blah blah, and all this great great stuff um i literally put house invasion scene was awesome uh also magneto breaking out i wanted to put this in here because i was talking about the ultra violence here um first of all yeah you had you had mystique do her thing to to get the guy which you know that was fun i guess Mm -hmm. um Which is which is also we get to see Rebecca Romaine in like full like without yeah uh, she must have loved that she didn't have to wear her crazy blue makeup three hours of makeup or or, sorry no it was like it was like a day almost like eight hours worth of makeup um but uh, but what I loved about it was like I'm sorry but absorbing metal out of someone's body must be the most brutal thing you could do to that man. I love that it's already just like it's the second comic book, well, third, because Spider Man had come out at this point. So the third, like, of the big new modern comic book movies. And already, what a creative way to use Magneto's powers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, how do you get him out of this plastic prison? Like, you wrote him in there. How are you going to write him out of it? She gives the guy a bunch of iron. And then, like, Magneto right away, it's like, there's something off about you today, Mr. Lorio. And it's just, oh, I love that scene so much. I, what I loved about it was uh, the attention to, again, CG detail here is like they, first of all, did not make it feel CG. They did a really good job of making it feel like he was manipulating metal. Um, I loved him floating and the, the, the orbs were circling mm-hmm. around him. I thought that was brilliant, a, a brilliant way 
Uh, because in the again in the cartoon, I love that you see a magnetic field around Magneto yes. with the blue lightning. But this was a kind of a cool way to to simulate a similar effect. Uh, and, and then again, uh, just a sad like just a freaking savage dude with the shooting the metal the metal orbs through the yeah. window like bullets. You know, like just taking out dudes left, right, and center. Like it was, it was crazy. And you um, don't even see Lorio. They don't cut to Lorio dying. You see him <laughs> fall over in the reflection of the yeah. fire that he took. Like it's so creative. It was, it was a really creative. You're right, though, in terms of like you put this character in a room where he literally is at his weakest. Like he, yeah. it's classic prison. He's not getting out. Like, like there's how how are you gonna write? You wrote yourself into a trap. How do you write yourself out of that trap? So you, it was really clever to come out of that. Um, also, during this whole thing on the TV, they show Dr. Hank McCoy, uh, mm -hmm. which is, again, if you know your comic books, they, they have beasts. So they were throwing in cameos left, right, and center in this. I movie. totally forgot that Hank McCoy shows up in the TV. Mm -hmm. I totally forgot that's a thing. Yeah. Um, are we at the part where we go to Bobby Drake's house? Yes, yes, we are. So, were they? Were they? As you mentioned in the last podcast, they talked about. Uh, we talked about how they just make fun of Cyclops and like they did the buy the bat the NSYNC in the in his yeah. sports car. <laughs> He's got NSYNC in his sports car, um, I, and I love that it's a a nice subtle recurring joke, uh, much better than why is the rum gone, where he stole the motorcycle in the first movie. Now he's stealing his sports car. But I don't think they pick it up again in part three because Cyclops dies like in the first four times. <laughs> they they, they um, go pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but Bobby Drake's house is another great scene. It's another classic X-Men feeling scene of, you know, the parents just not getting it. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. Plug your ears, kids. Here we go. Bobby's brother is a little fucking narc. I bet you, bet you didn't know that snitches get stitched. <laughs> Like, what is his problem? Uh, and for I, a second, he, I thought he was the guy from the OC, but it's not him. No, 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 no. I, I don't. I don't know even know who he is. Um, I like, I like what they tried to do with this scene. Um, also, just again, weird, weird Bobby. You know, trying to hook up with Rogue moments, but I'll, 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 I'll let it slide. I, I understand that they're, they're just getting. They're going through that teenage motion, you know. They need There's to a lot cover of mutated those. puberty flying through the air. Yeah, they need to just go through those motions, and I, I get that. Okay, I'll buy it. Let's just keep them, keep them on, keep it on. Um, him confessing the mutant, uh, I, I think, was a really strong way of tackling, uh, you know, tackling, uh, you know, essentially, you know, um, revealing that re revealing your sexuality. I think it was a really good job of doing that, and really. Yeah. And really trying to convey, could they have done it better? Yes, uh, but for the time, that was actually a really progressive way of, you know, tackling uh, that subject. I'm sure, I'm sure people would have really kind of related to it. Um, it really, again, it, it's it really just very superficial. But I, I give them props for trying it. That's I give them solid props for for doing that scene and really doing it at like. Like, and I say cringy, but as a, as a, an emotional result, because that's, you know, that was the struggle, right? Like people being able to truly, you know, be who they are. And, you know, I love that the mom's questions were like, you know, things like, have you ever tried not being a mutant? Like, you know, like 
because of people's lack of understanding. And they did a really good job making you feel the cringe of like what people go through. And I, and again, like, you know, I hope in future X-Men movies that they really continue to push those boundaries because it's, it really opens the eyes of, of these characters. And again, just a little dated and awkward, but, uh, but again, it was a solid attempt. And I, I still think it, it was, it was a smart move to do it that way. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky thing to get right. And back mm -hmm. then, obviously it was all, it was way harder. It was way easier back then for them to screw it up. But yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think they screwed it up. And that, not being a mutant line is like I think one of the best lines in the movie. It's it's funny, yes, but also it makes you cringe. It speaks volumes. It was so good they even put it in the trailer. The trailer ended with Bobby Drake's mom saying, "Have you tried not being a mutant?" Yeah, um, and it's you know, and um, yeah, there's. Oh, I just lost your audio, my friend. Have you tried not being muted? Hey -oh. <laughs> well, All right. So we're gonna we're gonna fix this technical situation. Um, check check. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There you go. My microphone died. Uh, too oh. much rant, too much Wolverine ranting about that. You know, house invasion scene. Um. All right. Uh, but yeah, no, I, again, it was a solid, it was solid props for, for attempting that scene. Yes. The brother was a, just ugh, was a terrible kid. Terrible kid. Uh, I did love the joke. That, <laughs> I love that. Uh, the Wolverine being a professor. That was really funny. Yeah. Professor Logan, what are you a professor of? Oh, my God. Great, some great writing moments in that for sure. And um, they even they, they got a little dark with their jokes, which I thought was cool. Where he he thinks somebody's sneaking up when I'm in it's a cat, and the cat starts licking his claws, and then he pulls the claws away, and we don't see it. We just hear him pull the claws away, and then we hear the cat react. <laughs> so I don't know if that cat still has its own, but. <laughs> That's such a dark but really, really funny scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the police, though, shooting Wolverine, I thought that was really cool as well. I mm -hmm. thought that was kind of a neat way of, of again, you know, um, actions have consequences kind of thing. I yes. thought that was a nice little nod there. Um, and then Rogue, we kind of see her be a bit more, you know, and again, I, I loved Anna Paquin as Rogue. I think she had the southern accent down. Um, I think she... She definitely physically could embody the character we know and love. Uh, like there was so much potential there, but it was, again, because they needed her, they kind of used her as the Jubilee story arc in terms of like understanding the world of X-Men and all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You see her really getting it in this one, but again, they, they could have kept pushing, like made her stronger, made her a mentally stronger character. Um and just like, yeah, be more, be tougher, I think is the best way to do it. But again, those were the times. Um, but I loved her like, you know, grabbing pyro and absorbing the fire, getting a good handle on her powers, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, and then they're getting out of there. I, so the other thing that I talked that I, you know, we get a kind of an introduction to and this is a little bit before, and we get it into it when they go back to Alkali Lake and go to Department H and all that stuff. Um, is that uh, 
is the the Phoenix story that was happening through this movie under underneath everything that was going on. And this is goes back to man, like you can't you can't just jump from like the Friends of Humanity story to Wolverine's backstory to then introducing the Phoenix story, which was so I put I put my comment was like they derailed the Phoenix story. Like I don't even know where to begin or how they decided to do it. But somewhere in that writing room, someone was like, oh, man, we should just have her, like, awaken her phoenix powers. And it's like, no, that's not how you do it. Like, the, the phoenix story could be, like, I think uh, the actual writer of the phoenix saga, Chris Claremont, he he watched, they, they did a, a special event with him where he watched all the phoenix stories in the X-Men movies. Uh-huh. And he said they butchered it so bad. And, and he said it's because they rushed it. And he's like, he's like, honestly, the Phoenix Saga itself, I, 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 I'm not quoting him directly here, but the impression I got from what he was saying, he's like, is its own movie trilogy. Like you could have done a whole movie trilogy on the Phoenix Saga and it you know and and he's like i don't know why they didn't do it because that would have been a money train for them like you know if you were to do an x-men saga you could have easily done that as like your one two three and have that as one trilogy in in the overarching story and he's like but they rush it they they rush it rush it rush it and they always skip the journey from like her discovering she's the phoenix to being the dark phoenix to being the phoenix you know what i mean like they they jump all over the board and yeah. this, they're just like, oh yeah, all of a sudden, oh, because I was around Magneto's things, it awakened it. I and it, and I get why they tried to do it because the reason why they were trying to do it was the first movie when they introduce it, they talk about the evolution, right? That mutants are the next evolution. But what? But then they talk about you know as as we continue to grow, like you know things continue to evolve. Yeah, and then that becomes a literal. Like genes, the next evolution of mutation, and I was like, no, no, don't, do, no. Well, uh, we we live in a world now that is much more open to the cosmic side of superhero yeah, stories. So, yeah. thankfully, we are more likely now to get the Chris Claremont slash Ryan J. Marvel approved Phoenix Saga on the big screen. I think that's definitely going to be uh, a, a thing that happens in the MCU because yeah. um, it's been botched twice now. I haven't, so, I haven't seen the, the Phoenix saga uh, in the new one, so I don't know what the, what the I can't one. wait to see what, what you think of that one because uh, for a second it looks like they're going the right way and then, boy, did they take a left turn at Albuquerque. Um, <laughs> but Gene and Storm do show up and pick them up in the Blackbird, thankfully, and get them out of there because all the cops are everywhere. And then uh, there's this dogfight in the sky, yeah. and, and Storm makes all these tornadoes, and I totally forgot that this scene existed, and it was another cool just action set piece. And it, I, for a second, I thought we, we had a Captain Marvel reference. Um, oh. I, I wanted to run it by you, because one of the fighter pilots, we see a close-up of their, um, the outside, like the hall of their thing, and it says the pilot's name. And I didn't see the last name, I should have gone back and looked at it, but there's it says Captain, and then in quotes, I guess it's their nickname, Ray Gun, and then the last name, which I didn't get. 
but is there a, a comic character that you know of who's like maybe friends with uh, Carol Danvers? Is like Captain Raygun Jenkins or something like that? No. There, so in the uh, in the comics, there is a um, oh, what's his name? There's okay. So there's Agent Coulson, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, what's what's Agent Coulson's first name? Phil, right? Phil. Yeah, Philip Coulson. There's a Philip Lawson in the comics, and he is he is the male equivalent, the alien equivalent of Captain Marvel, mm -hmm. um, and he is close friends with Captain with uh, Carol Danvers, who becomes Miss Marvel, and then becomes Captain Marvel, right. taking on the mantle of Captain Marvel. Um, but yeah, that's that's as close as get. But his name was not Captain Raygun. That's yeah, so that must have just been that's just a flat no, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's okay because now we we get to I think my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, what's that? Is it the, the tent scene where Mystique? <laughs> not definitely not the tent scene, but the tent scene is part of it because it, it really just encompasses like this their, their ship crashes and they're in the woods with Magneto and Mystique, and it just becomes. A team up movie it becomes x-men united as the title yeah. promises uh in any other movie uh, any, rather any other superhero movie when when the action is dying down and we have to have this low point where you know there's not much going on it it's that's usually the most dull part of the movie it's usually the part where they just try to get exposition through uh to get you from one point to another but here i don't know man i find this so interesting like the second you see that they're about to crash and it's Magneto who has pulled them down and stopped them. Everything from that point on to like when they head to Alcala, like I'm just like, this team up is so interesting because you know how badly they want to start punching each other, but they're not because they have a common goal and you get to see uh, Mystique bonding with Nightcrawler in this beautiful little moment. You get to see uh, who else, uh, Magneto bonding with Pyro. And that's the start of something. Uh, it's just all of this is what I wanted to see in, a, in a, an X-Men story, which is the parts where Magneto is not quite the villain. Right? Because we got a great movie with him being the villain, and now we get a great movie with him being kind of their frenemy. Yeah, no, I definitely felt that as well. Um, I, I really liked... Um, I really did like that scene as well. I like Nightcrawler eavesdropping on them. I thought that was really funny. Um, oh, no. <laughs> uh, no, I like that too. Um, but what I liked, what I liked is that with the loss of Xavier, the X-Men kind of need a moral compass. And Magneto really does a good job of respecting Xavier enough to guide them to, to, to save him. You know what I mean? Um, and just when things are finally at balance, then Magneto upsets the balance and does something rash, right? Right. Uh, I really enjoy that. Um, the pyro comment I really liked where, you know, he's like, he's talking about how he can't control, or sorry, he can only manipulate fire, he can't create it. And then Magneto just looks at him, he's like, you're a god. Like, like just like, yes. says it with such conviction. I really enjoy it. Um, and again, it plays up to uh, the, 
the commentary of Prometheus, right? Stealing fire from the gods, mm -hmm. um, which was really, which, which I also thought was some really brilliant kind of writing there. Uh, and so the Department H was a fun kind of scene. I wrote a comment here because we also see Stryker use Xavier and, you know, talk about his son being a failure in, in Xavier school. Is his son Legion? No, his son is supposed to be um, a character. I think his name is Pro. I think his name is Prometheus. Uh, oh wow! Okay, he's a very weird-looking character, actually. Uh, he doesn't normally look like that. Uh, he he looks like he's supposed to be younger, as in my mind. I remember. He's yeah, he was in the cartoon, and like he had like this. Purple, he had almost the orange energy that would yes, come. yeah, 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 and it would like cocoon him, and he would. Like you couldn't beat him. Like you'd have to like calm him down. Yeah, you you can't you can't beat him. Yeah, I know exactly. And and because they actually do a really cool uh, when they do that episode in X Men, they do a really cool job where Wolverine tries to fight him, and yes. the first time or first time around he just messes with him a little bit. Second time around he literally warps him to a point where it like freaks him out. Yeah, and he can't. And then he and then he he has a fear that he can't even go near him. Yeah, he traumatizes him, and you see, like, Wolverine sobbing because he was, like, he split Logan's atoms or something. Like, yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's okay, so that's this guy. Cool. Yeah. I yeah. like that. Um, so, yeah, so so Wolverine has this kind of thing where he proves that he tries to continue to prove that he's, like, still tough as he is. second he gets close to him, he just he loses it, and he, he can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's who that's who it's supposed to be. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, the, the, I put, I put in there the note that it was an odd connection to Xavier that, it, that he was a failed student and that Wolverine was his chance for redemption was Magneto was saying is like, Oh, Wolverine's your chance for redemption. And that like Magneto kept chirping Wolverine, like, Oh, you know, um, Xavier had more faith in you than I ever did. Like blah, blah, blah. I was like, I, I was, I always thought that was kind of a weird angle personally. I, you know, I, it's still, it's still Magneto. Like it's, it's something I believe Magneto would say, but it, it just, it didn't feel hundred percent right. Um, just the way he was chirping and, you know, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it just felt that it was Stryker, like the making the connection between Stryker and Xavier was kind of shoehorned in there. Yeah. And he, uses the sun as part of his plan it's very yeah for a guy um, for a guy that xavier couldn't control he seems to control the or the dad figured out a way to control him and they talked about extracting um extracting a fluid from his from his body that allows him to control people yes that's what he's he's dripping on people it's he's still a better father here than he is on succession though so <laughs> um we get another wonderful sex joke where Magneto, where somebody comments, um, oh, Mystique is good, and Magneto says, you have no idea. Yeah, that was weird. That was, <laughs> I thought that was bizarre as well. Oh, you know Magneto and Mystique are getting it on all the time. Um, speaking of Magneto, his look, it's better than it was in the first one. Yeah. It's not, I still want the red and purple. It's not quite there, but it's like, it's the most muted purple, like the grayish purple suit that he's got on like a dark gray and then the back of the cape has some red i'm like you know what i this is totally acceptable i'm okay with this 
Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. Um, I, yeah, no, I get that. I did like, I did like how his outfit was evolving. I agree. I actually thought his helmet was pretty cool. I, I think they mm -hmm. did a great job modernizing his helmet. Uh, fun fact, actually, the helmet blocking uh, the telepathy of Xavier, that actually was never in the comics. That was never, that was only introduced in the movies. He never oh, wow. had the ability to block, um, to block Xavier's mental powers. Um, that's because it's super convenient. Like that's, that answers the question of like, why don't you just go find Magneto? Because I can't. Cause he was yeah, no, it was a cool, creative way to, to you know, I'm sure someone in the theater had they originally kept the you know the fact that he could just mind work many time, but but what I liked how they did in the comics was yes he could do that but that's not the point he can't mm -hmm. yeah he could simply just do it but then he's not he's not making the he's not fighting that crusade of like coexisting he's just dominating right, right? so I like I like that but um, yeah the whole so the, we get the more of the weapon x sequence which was fun it was great um yeah and the the whole mystique breaking in this that the battle sequences in this one is, is again gruesome um i love the fight between gene and cyclops but they didn't build it up it just kind of happens which i also thought was kind of bizarre uh but it was nice to see like the wave of energy blasting from his eyes as he's flying through the air i thought that was really cool um and it's good cause and effect because that destroys the dam and yeah. slow, over the course of the next like 20 minutes you're watching that dam fall apart because of that one blast yeah exactly and uh the other thing too is, is i love and again this is magneto talking about ultra violence he pulls all the grenade pins off of everybody every soldier and they all explode like i'm surprised we didn't see more gore or guts because like I'm, I'm telling you, the grenade was pulled off, like, you know, being resting on someone's chest. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you're going to see body parts everywhere, you know? I mean, if if that. They were um, pushing their their PG rating, because, like, Lady that strikes death. Like, yes. that is probably the most painful death I've ever seen a person go through in a movie. And they film it in this, like, slow, quiet, beautiful way. But you know she's, like, she is hurting. And then to end it with just that that sound effect of her hitting the bottom of the tank oh yeah she's still filled with metal yeah like, yeah it's brutal and and that was the other thing that bothered me is, is again striker just being like oh yeah you know you're the perfect thing but you know you want to you always you know it doesn't mean you're the only one and then oh here's lady deathstrike yeah I, but i was once i saw the claws come out i was like oh here that's why she's here because again, they don't they don't mention who she is at all in this movie. They never mention her name. So they, they do call her Yuriko once at the beginning. Oh, do they? I think in, I the, in the White House um, when Senator Kelly comes up uh, and, and um, uh, what's his name? Striker's just like this is Yuriko. My oh my yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, they, so they brush it off though. Yeah, they brush it off very quickly. But yeah, like but but again, like. For me, I, I probably, I, I maybe, maybe even during the movie, the first few times I watched it, I probably missed it as well. But yeah, when I saw the claws come out, I'm like, oh, oh no, this is what they did. And uh, but, but it was cool to have the fighting. I think it was. I, I see why they chose her because it's interesting to see how those two would fight. And you know, choreographing in that movie would have been a fun sequence to do. Yeah, pretty gruesome way to go though. Is just like filling her up with. Uh, the adamantium and like she cries out the metal like oh, oh it's, my God. it's great it is, 
It's but great, but a cringe. Even Striker, though, he gets he gets wrapped up in uh, chains in a pretty gruesome way. Yeah, yeah, Magneto wraps him up, and then you don't see him get like flooded and drowned and washed away, but you know what happens. Yeah, um, and it's it, 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 I, I love that moment. It's a just a nice little bookend callback of um, uh, Wolverine walks away. I'll take my chances with this kid, and the kid gives him his little mutant tongue. Yeah. And it's it's a, such a nice little button to put on it. Wolverine saying, like, I'm going to be the better man in this situation. And I'm just like, screw you, buddy. You're not even worth killing at this point. Um, it's a it's a great climax. And the, the non-action-y parts of the climax, for me, were way better than the action-y parts. Except mm-hmm. Lady Deathstrike's death, because that was a big deal. But, like, the... Um, like, Magneto turning the machine is like, oh, of course, because it's still Magneto right? The, the kid with the tongue. And then one of my favorite things is where we leave off with Pyro. Uh, and I'm going to say something that might make you mad here, Ryan. But this, this moment of, of Pyro seeing like the bad guys leave and then they take him with them and you just see Pyro on the helicopter looking out and flies away. That is an example of how you do cliffhangers right. And it is, unfortunately today, that would get tossed into a a post-credit scene. And post-credit scenes are not cliffhangers. They are either fun jokes or fun mini trailers for something else. They they are not cliffhangers. You You know, I I agree with you in the sense that that post-credit scenes, uh, there's an art to them. Mm-hmm. And the the purpose they served was kind of like a teaser to the teaser trailer. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a, it's a scene. It's a very focused scene of a teaser trailer. That's what it is. Like that's why to me, you know, what we got in uh, the Marvels, and you know, one of my ultimate favorites was Thor: Dark World. Like that to me is like how you do a teaser trailer, like teaser teaser trailer. You know? Yes, because they're good. Like. Thor the Dark World is a complete movie without that scene. That scene is exactly, just a fun yeah. bonus, right? Yeah. X-Men 2 would not be complete without seeing Pyro get off on that chopper. And yeah. it, it sets a stage for we know, we the audience. Like, that made me so excited. I'm like, Iceman is going to fight him, man. That is going to be such a cool fight. Uh, and we'll get there when we get there, when we actually see the fight next movie. But that's how you do a cliffhanger is that that little moment of like he's going to be back and there's going to be trouble so i just wanted to give props where it's due because that is the kind of stuff i love when movies do oh absolutely absolutely no it was it was a great way to do it um so so yeah so it was yeah it was i mean i again you're right like the non-action sequences did did have better Cliffhanger moments. Um, the Gene, Gene, uh, you know, lifting the plane off. It was Isabella had another awesome commentary moment where she's just like, "Why can't she just do that from the plane?" Like, well, it's it's funny you mention that because that is my note here. <laughs> um, but I made this note in kind of an opposite way that Isabella said it. Okay, because. I made this note where it's just like, 
I love the time. I love these 2003 years when things were simpler and easier. And we just, we were, we were along for the ride. We were along for the magic of the ride. Mm-hmm. And we, we just accepted that and we're like, oh man, this is cool. This is a cool ending, blah, blah, blah. You drop that same movie in a movie theater today, Twitter people are going to be saying, why couldn't Gene stay in the ship? MCU is dead forever, right? It's, every, everybody's got to nitpick everything. Uh, and so I love that this was still an era where we could just just relax and just enjoy the the crazy fantasy of it all. And I miss that. I miss when Twitter didn't exist is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, honestly, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I get what they were trying to do, but it's, it's, it is funny. And like, at the same time is like, how was she able to make the ship power up? Like I'm sure telepathy has its limits. You know what I mean? Um, not when you're the Phoenix. Not when you're the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, that phoenix scene oh god um yeah but again i i gotta call back though i gotta harken back to like you know james marsden only having like really this this one major moment but like this the the pain i the pain he's experiencing is so oh man it's so intense i i feel every minute of it and i just love it um James knew he was like, "This is my scene in this movie. I gotta milk it." And this like, is my moment. You know, I bet you even the direction. Brian's like, "This is your moment. This is your moment, James. Uh, <laughs> the love of your life is dying." And... <laughs> and it was a great, like, sort of a great um, example of the whole notion of this is the big kid version of X Men. You know, like it's it's taken the cartoon, whatever, because. In the cartoon, you got a lot of great emotional stuff, but yeah. you never saw, to my knowledge anyway, maybe I'm remembering wrong, but you never had a scene where Wolverine and Cyclops are both weeping over Jean's death and like Wolverine is holding Cyclops because like Cyclops is about to fall over. Like that, I'm like, this is cool, man. This is like me in 2003 was watching this and thinking like, oh, it's the big kid version. Like. <laughs> There, it's, it's there was there was no scene like that that I've ever seen. Um, you're right. Uh, again, the animated series did some really cool stuff. Uh, I loved when Gene was gone uh, and Gambit's like, "Yo, you need to get out of the night of town." Like Wolverine was more of just like like tough love kind of guy. Like you know, yeah. you need to move on. You need to you know, you know, we all we all miss her. Blah blah blah. We need to move on. Blah. Um, and uh and then cyclops you know being the ladies man that he is finds you know dazzler and and almost hooks up with her uh and then you know even even down the road like in other cartoons he hooks up with white queen uh emma frost uh which is really funny um so yeah he's he's always hooking up with the ladies uh but yeah so it's yeah you're right there's a really emotional moment you know because they both loved her uh, and, and it, it really, but again, it doesn't hit hard enough because again, if they wrote Wolverine building that relationship with Jean and really appreciating who she is and, and who she means to him, um, as opposed to just really just a plaything, 
uh, <laughs> uh, it would have hit a lot harder. But but Cyclops stole the show for that for that scene for sure. Like you feel you feel him like literally losing his will to live. Uh, yes, through that moment. Uh, but yeah, the the Phoenix powers just awakening into her, I thought was so weird. Oh man, they derailed that. Yeah, that was a that was a choice. That was mm-hmm. definitely a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and again, like when this came out, I was not um, savvy to like I didn't remember what the Phoenix story was. So I was along for that ride. I was fine with it. But now that the cartoon's fresher in my memory, I look forward to a time where we can see it play out with people like the Shi'ar Empire. Yes. And, and, you know, the, the trial of Jean Grey. Oh. The trial, you know, Corsair and the Star Jammers, like really get into the meat of it. Um, but it'll happen. We just have to be patient. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now, Ryan, it's time to see how many claws we give to X2, X-Men United. Unless you had any other notes. I think that was the wow, end of man. my notes. What I love right? the ending with the president. Like, I thought that was a really cool ending to kind of just oh, again, yeah. oh that's, that's one thing i did want to talk about too such a powerful message yes. uh, that they end on and and again like there's some really solid writing in this movie like there's like moments of solid writing um but you, but the ending though oh my god that was a that was a real punch to the gut like in terms of like you know you based based on you know what you've experienced and what you've seen you have a choice you know and it's like you know this it, this is a critical moment and you yeah. have a choice you know and and i love it and it's i love that it's like is this a threat or you know i don't do well with threats and he's like no he's like i can't remember how he said it. it's like no it's an education or it's like a it's an awakening or something like that but like um, Does he say it's a it's a promice? A something, or, something. Oh no, an opportunity. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Yeah, that's yeah. The, it's an opportunity, and that is such a strong line. Oh my god. Um, yeah, no, love that. But then, and then we get the flying phoenix. That was that was your end credits, by the way. Yes, the- that that would be the post credit scene today. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time that I've watched the movie. Uh, and since I have actually read the book, The Once in Future King, which Professor X shows to his students right there at the end. He's like, have you what, ever read what the is book that book X? about? It's the King Arthur story in Merlin. It's like the quintessential novel of like the story of Arthur and Merlin and like all the stuff that they got up to together. It's really good. Huh. Well, I, I actually had a note of that and I didn't want to speak to it because I don't know what the book's about and I didn't do my research for it. For the show, but because because see, it's right here. Keep talking. Uh, because Magneto in the prison cell is also reading the book. That's right. He is. Yeah. This this is my copy here. That's the a classic. massive book. Yeah, it's a big one. Because uh, it's uh, it's very um, like you get Arthur's whole life in here. Um, Interesting. And the, like the whole sword in the stone thing is here the war at the end, um, all the stuff with the knights and with like, oh my God, Lancelot is sleeping with my wife. What do I do? Like that is actually one of the best parts of this book is like Arthur knows his best friend and his wife are fooling around. And he's just like, 
I love them both. What do I do? Like it's the moral quandary, and then Roman pops up and he's like, "You should do this." Oh. Uh, it's yeah, it's a great book. Um, so our claw rating system that you came up with, right? We have zero claws. We have one, two, three, four, five, and six claws. And if you really like it, you give it an X, right? So I'm. I actually have no idea. Usually I can kind of tell where you're going to go. I have no idea where you're going to go with X-Men 2. Oh, man. I can't remember what I gave the first one. Oh, um, here, I'll tell you. You and I, uh, I gave it 4.5, and you said 4 or 5. Oh, okay. So pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to give it a 5, a solid 5. Five claws. Only because they did Lady Deathstrike real dirty. <laughs> so bad. Um, and and though I agree with you about Striker, I think he was a clever he was a clever kind of tool to you know make a common enemy kind of thing and, and thing. I still think they could have chosen a better villain um, to do to get the same objective. But overall. It, it is like a much more intense, elevated X-Men experience. Like from the first one to the second one, it is like a definitely an elevated experience. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, I think, Ryan, I think I'm going to give it an X. Wow. Yeah. Your first X. Uh, oh, you're generous. You're being X. too nice. I, yeah, it's... Um, you should tell Brian Singer, maybe you guys can become fast friends. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> um yeah it's i mean yeah it's got its faults it's not without its faults um but as a guy who came at it with very little marvel knowledge like that x-men cartoon you have to understand it was not in in 2003 it was not in syndication anymore uh i don't think dvds for it existed definitely streaming didn't exist so it was unwatched like you could not watch it anywhere unless you like owned the vhs tapes maybe uh, which I didn't. And that meant it was so far back in my memory that my X-Men knowledge was pretty much wiped down to the bare essentials. So my knowledge of Yuriko was literally just like, hey, I know she exists. So I, I was like, I get to see a character who I know exists. And it was the same with Pyro. Uh, so those little things didn't quite irk me. Um, and just the way everything was amped up, it was everything you want a sequel to do, it did. And it delivered on promises. It delivered on Xavier saying, like, I feel a great swell of pity for that poor soul. Uh, it, it's just, it got so many things right that I, I expected it to age poorly, but I, I, I watched it a few days ago, and I'm just like, I, I want to see this again. <laughs> like, this is, it's so much fun. Um, I, yeah, I got to go with X. Yeah, uh, that's fair. That's, uh, that's fair. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll let you live with that. <laughs> well, here's the, and, and here's the thing. Though we may not have had knowledge of it, unless you have the VHSs, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, I had the trading cards. And, you know, I would, I, you know, you could easily compare, you know, compare one to the other. And I just remember, like, certain characters was just like, <laughs> you know, like, what did you do? 
but yeah, no, I, re- I remember even my, I remember my brother also, he's, I'm sure if I go talk to him now, I'm sure he would say the same thing. <laughs> I remember being like, it's a choice. <laughs> it's a choice. It's definitely a choice. Um, there, there's a lot of mutants they could have used as henchmen instead of Sabretooth and, and Yuriko. I guess they just didn't know about them yet because they didn't, they had Feige, but they weren't listening to Feige. They weren't listening to Feige. No. They had their greatest weapon, like, <laughs> just right, sitting right there. Could you imagine if they actually did listen to him, what we would have got at the time? I'm sure at one point he was like, hey, what about Blob? And they were like, we don't want Blob. Let's get this good-looking lady in here with claws. Uh, like, I'm sure they, you know, something he said fell on some deaf ears at some point. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But thankfully, nothing we say falls on deaf ears because everybody listens to every single word of Infinity we watch. That's how we roll. And that's why they know that they can find Ryan where? That's why they know they can find me on youtube.com forward slash expert zone. We are in the process of making a ton of awesome videos uh, all about Microsoft products and services. So just make sure you tune in and subscribe because that is where I make my dollars. So, uh, but I, but, but be fair, be fair not to just say I'm just selling out, you know, and just making money. I'm very passionate about technology and Microsoft stuff. So it's it's kind of a, a win-win. The fact that, I'm, you know, uh, it's part of my job and I get to make those videos. So just uh, keep on keeping on and uh, supporting me by giving a like and subscribe. Wait a minute. Why are you wearing a shirt that says I love Sony? <laughs> uh, fun fact, I still have... Quick side note, uh, a cherished memory of mine. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but if there was a time, and I want to aspire to making movies, making videos like this on YouTube. I don't think I'll, uh, legally, I don't think I'll ever be allowed to do it. Microsoft would never let this happen. But when you bought video games back in the day, sometimes it came with a little VHS. Uh, that was a promo for, for games that were coming out. And and one of my favorite ones that was the, the I in my mind the best ever made. I whoever was the marketing person for this movie was truly truly ahead of their game. They they knew that there was going to be a day YouTube exists would exist and that these kind of videos should be made. Okay, um, I can't remember where or how we got it, uh, but we had it. I, I I remember owning it and watching it. It was about Star Fox 64. And it starts off the pilot, land like a full-on fighter jet pilot parachuting into a parking lot. And two uh, kind of stooge-like characters, like Larry Curley and Moe, um, uh, wearing a Sega shirt and a Sony shirt, kidnap him and get him to confess what Nintendo was working on. It is the best video you'll ever see in your life if you ever watch wow. it. But look up Star Fox promo video. I will send you the link, my friend, and you okay. watch it. And this is as good as the Captain Power intro I sent you. <laughs> it is so freaking... It is the best way to inform your audience of what the next game is and why it's amazing. These little gems, man. I, <laughs> I, I had a VHS tape. I still have it somewhere that... When I bought my first ever box of Magic the Gathering cards, it came with a VHS tape that shows you how to play. And at one point in the tape, there's the voice guy who is on Bill Nye the Science Guy, the guy who's like, 
Bill, Bill, it's a bad idea. Don't talk style, Bill, right? He's in it, and he's just like, hey, uh, if you tap that card for six blue mana, blah, 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 blah. Like they, I, and I just remember thinking, like, this thing is amazing, and there's, like, two guys learning to play, and one that keeps getting distracted because they have it, like, they're being studied in a lab. They set up, like, a fake lab, and there's, like, this really beautiful woman who's, like, studying them, and one that keeps getting distracted by her, and he loses because he's not paying attention to the cards. Uh, yeah, it was 40 minutes of pure fun. It might have been even shorter than that. It might have been like 20 minutes. It's yeah, like you have. Minutes. If you can find it on YouTube, send me a link because I, I will. really want to see this. I, I really love to see how Magic the Gathering is explained because I only learned through people telling me how to play it. I've never actually, I've never actually seen an official way of learning. So, oh, okay, I'll find that for you. But um, speaking of learning and uh, and reading big, massive books, where can people find you, young man? You mean this book? The book We Were Wizards, which you can find on Amazon.com right now, or along with these the next ones. Oh, they're right there in his hands, too. We're both holding the same thing. Yeah. Except turn these two have yet to be signed, but this one's signed. Do me a favor. Turn to a random page in the, um, in the silver one and read the first sentence you see. I get... Th- oh, wow. Yeah. I'm getting bestowed a wonderful honor. <clears throat> Excited. Okay. Once the new bets were locked in, the the Whitling burned the top card of the deck and flipped over the first intervention card, resting it in the center of the table for all to see. That is weird that we were just talking about Magic the Gathering. And, <laughs> and you literally turned to one of my favorite scenes in the book. How did you do that? You warlock man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Ah, well, that's about all the X action we can handle for one day. But we're going to be back soon with everybody's favorite installment in the trilogy, X-Men 3, The Last Stand. Right? That's everybody's favorite, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's everyone's favorite. Uh, I will say, though, all, uh, one as a kind of a post-credit sequence of our own, uh, mm-hmm. a really great casting in that movie, for sure. And down, one of the best characters ever casted to play a character in that movie. I'm curious. Okay, when we get there, you got to tell us who it is. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Infinity Rewatch X. That has been X-Men 2. We'll see you next time. Until then, please have a marvelous day, bub. Mm.